I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. I'm Guy Barsa. This is the RHS Gardening Podcast. It's 7.30 and I'm standing here in my allotment. I'm standing next to a large amount of Brussels sprouts. They're all going to seed. So it's time for them to be dragged up, chopped up with a bill hook, and the roots and stems thrown on the burning heap. I'm lucky enough to use it as a place to escape to, as well as grow my own fruit and vegetables. Something lots of you seem to be doing at the moment, whether in an allotment or your own garden. So later in today's show, we're going to be digging into how to grow your own fast-growing produce to help limit our trips to the shop. My colleague, Gareth Richards, also has a deep love for his allotment. So from my allotment to his. Okay, so I'm just walking past the chickens and I've got some ruby chard, which is just glowing in the light. And it makes these really, really vibrant leaves that taste great and they're quite nutritious. And the sun is shining through the trees as they're just getting the first leaves on. And I'm walking up, I've got a row of raspberries and they're just the most luminescent green. They're incredible. Every leaf is just absolutely fresh and perfect. And the soil that I dug over yesterday is also kind of just this blank canvas, just waiting for the the summer vegetable crops to be planted. And the cherry trees are just burst into bloom and they have this wonderful scent. I'm just, just going up to one now. It's like kind of honey, which I know sounds silly, but it is. It's, it's just beautiful floral scent. And I'm going up to the greenhouse now. And that's so where I grow all my salads. I grow quite a lot of salad through the winter because it's really easy. And so I've got rows of rockets, which is just flowering. And actually, if you eat the flower buds, they taste amazing. They're a bit... They're kind of peppery, but they're sweet at the same time. You can taste the nectar that's developing in there. I've got rows of coriander. I've been trying to grow it for years, and it just flowers instantly if you plant it in the spring or the summer. But you plant it in the early autumn in your greenhouse after the tomatoes, and you get a wonderful crop of really tasty leaves. So I'm going to pick some of those for my dinner tonight. Sprinkle them on top of a curry. I've just got back home with my tulips and my herbs and my bits of salad and I'm feeling really lucky to have an allotment because you open the gates and the entire outside world just falls away and all your concerns just melt away and suddenly you're in this in this other space and to me it's getting your hands in the soil it's it's connecting with nature and some people are very much believe in what's called grounding so by connecting with the earth, you can really have good benefits for your, for your mental health and well-being. 
and obviously you can do that in a garden or in an allotment. So at the moment you are allowed to use your allotments, it's being encouraged because it's quite a healthy thing to do, good for your health and well-being, but obviously you have to abide by the social distancing guidelines. Luckily it's not too hard because you're all on your own individual plots, but just always keep that two metres distance and use hand sanitizer after you go in and out. What I really love about allotments is that they're so unique, they're this in-between space, they're not public but they're not private either. So my allotment is a little kind of, it's on this strange hidden away plot. It's in the middle of an industrial estate by a railway. And it was a huge site. And over the years, the industrial units kind of nibbled away. And there's just this one little kind of green oasis left. And so I've got a plot and a half. And I think everyone else must think I'm a complete hippie because I let things self-seed. I have lots of plants for the bees. It's a little bit untidy in some places but um, you go in through an archway that's an old vine and I've got rows of carrots, I've got chard, I've got broad beans, I've got shallots just poking through, lots and lots of raspberries. I absolutely love growing raspberries because you can grow so many different kinds. There's red ones, there's purple ones, there's black ones, there's even yellow ones and they all taste completely different and you can't buy them in the shops. The only way to have them is to grow them. Then I've got chickens as well down on the end and a shed. Very important, the shed. Something that I love to grow on the allotment is salad leaves because they grow really quickly and it means that you can eat them when they're absolutely at their freshest and they haven't been sat in a plastic bag for a few days on a supermarket shelf. And it also, it saves on plastic as well because you buy a packet of herbs in the supermarket every single time that's a bit of plastic and it's probably been flown in from somewhere. So it's an amazingly green thing to do to grow your own. One thing you see a lot in allotment books is talking about successional sowing, and that's something I think is a really, really handy tip. So what you want to do is you want to just sow small amounts of stuff regularly, particularly with quick-growing things like salads, because once they're ready, they're ready and you need to eat them. So just sow a little bit at a time, and then you'll have this wonderful supply over many many months and that's a really really good tip whether you've got a huge allotment or a small garden so going to the allotment it just takes you away from that human world from the hurly-burly from the news from these four walls it's just that perfect escape what I love is the fact that there's no traffic noise anymore and you, you just hear the birds and you're in an entirely different world it's great to hear about Gareth's allotment. We allotment holders love talking about each other's plots. Anyway, it's got me thinking about my own allotment. Every year I grow about 30 different crops at least. So at the moment I've got peas and beans growing and then lots of things will go in now for the winter. I've sown my leeks for example. I'll transplant them to their final position in June and be eating them this time next year. As Gareth mentioned, we're still allowed to visit our allotments, but it's important to remember to keep at least two metres away from other people at all times. One thing I'm trying to do is to use a bit less water, especially when tending my hanging baskets. As I stand atop my stepladder, precariously balanced, I wonder if this is the best approach to looking after my begonias and fuchsias. That's why I wanted to talk to Janet Manning, 
She is the RHS's first ever water specialist and has been investigating how much water you really need to use when caring for your hanging baskets. Watering can at the ready, I began by asking her about where this fascination began. So we all know that the climate is definitely changing. The rain patterns are altering. We're going to see more extremes of weather. And at the same time, we're also seeing a lot more population. So that means that the water that we've got has got to stretch further. It's got to stretch longer between significant rainfall events. And when we get a hot spell, we know it's going to be hotter than we've perhaps experienced in the past. So we've all got to do our bit to save some water and do the right thing for everybody's sake. Could you paint a picture of your trial for our listeners? What size hanging basket did you use? They were fairly standard. And I chose this particular type of self-watering basket simply because then I could remove the reservoir, remove the capillary matting. And I had a basket that was really just the same as your traditional basket. So that meant that every basket was exactly the same shape, the same size, the same liner. I weighed all the compost. So that was exactly the same. Trying to keep everything exactly equal between all the baskets apart from the amount of water that they got. Now that you've finished and had time to think about it, can you summarise what you found out from your study? Okay, so what we found was that you really don't need to have water running out the bottom of your baskets to get a really good floral display. So we had almost as many flowers on our low-dosed manually watered baskets as we did on our high-dose ones. They came out just as well, really, as the ones that had twice as much water and lots more wastage. What we did was right at the beginning, we decided on how much water we might need and what we would typically do as a gardener, as a horticulturalist. What would we do on our typical watering? And we measured that amount. Once the plants had grown a little way, then the high dose came out at 700 mils. So just under a litre of water for a five litre basket, which was a 12 inch basket. So that was the high dose. And that was enough to more or less saturate the compost each morning with a fair amount coming out the bottom. So half of that amount, 350 mils, was enough to put moisture into the compost, but much less drainage from the bottom of the basket. So we still got a little bit of drainage. It's really hard to water a hanging basket without having some wastage. And the only thing I can suggest there is that you just need to slow down. So a smaller watering can, do it in two or three doses rather than trying to slosh the whole lot on in one go. Anything that you can do to slow the flow actually helps the water to absorb into the compost. There is no need to have the water running out of the bottom. I know that seems to be quite a generalised bit of advice, really, is that people say, oh, water it until the water runs out of the bottom. But you don't really need to do that. And Janet? You used hanging baskets as a good experimental subject, as they're easy to grow and they show good response to watering or not watering. I wonder if you can transfer your results to managing other containers, whether it's great big pots for trees or smaller pots for the patio. Are there common rules there that people can apply? Yes, I think it does relate to other containers, definitely. And maybe a new rule of thumb for watering any container is when you do water, try adding 20% of the volume of the container. So if you've got a five litre tub, that's easy. Just one litre will be sufficient to keep it going until the next time you water. And then it's deciding the next time you water whether it's actually used more than that one litre or less. 
And an easy way to do that is to check the weight of the container if it's small enough. With a hanging basket, you can just sort of nudge it and you can usually feel whether it's a really heavy one or a really light one. And if it's light, then you need to water more often. I think that's sort of a general rule of thumb that might work for any container. Thanks, Janet. My main takeaway from our conversation is that less is more. As our summers get drier, it's important that all of us gardeners do our part to conserve water. I've been browsing through social media recently and have noticed that passionate gardeners are talking about how, although many events and activities have had to be cancelled, gardening itself is not one of them. In that spirit, we're taking the Chelsea Flower Show online for the first time this year, which means we can still be inspired by the fantastic designers and nurseries who make it all happen. Sarah Eberly is one designer we find particularly exciting. Sarah has quite the CV. She's been working in the landscape industry for over 28 years and among many accolades has won an impressive eight RHS gold medals. Not bad going. We asked her to give a virtual tour of the garden she had planned for Chelsea. The name of the garden is Psalm 23, which is probably one of the most well-known psalms. And it's really about a journey through life. It's about a destination that you get to through the troubles of your life. It speaks of still waters and green pastures, of meadows. And so I was instantly taken with wanting to translate this into a living garden and into a very visual representation of the psalm. My inspiration for the garden came from a place where I grew up, which is on the edge of Dartmoor in Devon. It was my place as, if you like, a slightly troubled youngster, where I would escape to. And it's a beautiful landscape, it's very rugged, but it appears very warm and lovely on a sunny day, but it can be a very cruel landscape as well. One of the features on Dartmoor are these amazing rock tours, and they're made of rounded granite. Now, granite's a really hard rock, and so over millions of years, it's transformed into these soft pillows. And it's a bit like us, you know, we go through life, and we become more rounded by all the troubles and all the things and experiences we go through in life. And that felt a fabulous analogy to me. But ultimately, really the idea behind it is, imagine yourself going for a walk in the countryside and you just come across this place. And it's something, maybe it's an auspicious tree or a rock by the babbling brook, which just draws you in and makes you want to sit down and just pause in your life. And so it's that moment of pause that I wanted to bring to Chelsea. I'm kind of using really native plants that are very much like a, a moorland situation. Things like there's some sundews in the rocks. So there are the little plants that open up and trap insects and, and digest them. Uh, cotton blowing in the breeze with a lovely fluffy white heads. Uh, common things such as gorse, a lot of grasses, but alongside that orchids as well, some of our native orchids. 
But the most majestic thing of all, really, in terms of the plant world there are two trees, one of which is a multi-stem hornbeam, some sort of seven, seven and a half metres tall, very elegant, beautiful tree. And then a stunning hawthorn tree. But it's quite old, it's quite twisted, it's quite warm, but it's, it's just a beautiful shape and it exhibits this, like the rocks, this kind of trauma of ageing and becoming more interesting. And I was very disappointed not to be challenged in, in the final element of it, but there we go, next year I will. Having the cancellation of the show, you know, it, it's kind of given us a few complications. Um, so we've now got a lot of plants in the nursery, which we have to work out what to do with those plants. So many of those uh, will actually be kept and potted up, so they'll be bigger plants for next year, which is a fabulous thing. Some of them we will have to start again, uh, but those plants will be either donated to good causes, not a final decision yet made on that, because ultimately this garden is going to the new hospice in, in Winchester, which will be absolutely fabulous. So there's a potential for, for taking some plants early for there, those we need to redo. But overall, they're going to be lovingly looked after, potted on, and um, they will be bigger and better for it. Thanks to Sarah Eberly for sharing her vision. The virtual RHS Chelsea Flower Show will be running from the 18th to 23rd of May 2020 and we'll be releasing more details soon on our website. But before we leave Sarah, there's one final thing about her that might surprise you. People assume that because I'm a garden designer, I have a beautiful garden. The reality of the situation is that gardening is very addictive. So I found it best to avoid having a garden at home. But with the current circumstances, Sarah has had a change of heart. Well, now I'm uh, stuck at home, as you all are. Do you know, this is a fantastic opportunity for me to do some gardening. So I'm going to break my rules and I'm going to start gardening. And I'm really excited about it. And I'm going to grow my own veg. So we all know that gardening is good for mental health. And it's obviously good for physical well-being because you've got to be out there in the fresh air you've got to be digging it's just really good to keep you calm give you something to do and to see these plants come through and grow and if they're edible double whammy it seems that sarah is not alone in growing her own our horticultural advisors have been inundated by questions from rhs members asking how they too can grow food at home Last week it was growing herbs. I really enjoyed hearing from Nikki Barker and I've even been trying out the old Tupperware trick. But this week I thought we'd get up to speed with quick growing veg. We love getting questions from our members and I chose some of my favourites to discuss with Lenka Cook, one of our advisors who is also a keen allotmenteer. We began by talking about which veg are best to grow and harvest quickly. The classic is radish. It's very quick maturing, so it grows very quickly and actually prefers this of a slightly cooler, moist weather because when it gets hot, it just goes to seed very, very quickly. So I would be sowing that. Also lettuces. Lettuces are great. They are very quick maturing. 
if you want something so very fast that you will be able to enjoy it sooner. So uh, loose leaf lettuce, which will be quicker to grow. What I'll be also sowing, uh, kohlrabi, not many people know these vegetables, is actually quite popular on continent. It's a cabbage-like taste. It's good in the raw in salads, but you can put it into mash or on its own. It's a little bit like sweet, I would say. Mm, kohlrabi, just for anyone who hasn't seen that, it's a, like a turnip on a stalk. So up comes the plant and then just above ground level forms a, a ball, which is like a turnip, and then all the leaves come out of that. It's the ball that you eat, isn't it, Lenka? What sort of size? Do you let them grow into a nice big football size so you can stew oh. them up for your family? Or if you let it grow big, you would be chewing it forever. You need to harvest it when they are relatively small. So a little bit of like a bigger golf ball. They will be nice and juicy and sweet and crunchy. If you let them grow for longer, they can become woody very quickly. So when you say quick, Lenka, do you mean that they'll be ready week after next? Or have we got to wait weeks and weeks? No, just we have to be a little bit patient. It will take roughly 12 weeks, 10 to 12 weeks, again, depending on the weather. If you want something so very really fast, you can try some baby leaves. You can even grow them on your windowsill and just, just harvest them with your clippers. Have you got any tricks of the trade to get things going a little bit faster? Can you sort of stand over them with a mirror or something? And talk to them nicely. Just the thing is... When you germinate, the plants tend to like a little bit warmer, but again, not too hot. We are talking around about 15, maximum 20 degrees. Keep them in good light once they germinate. Turn them around so they get light evenly and keep eye on the watering. So you want to keep them moist, but not too wet. What helps with germinating seeds is to keep them nice and moist. So we cover the seed tray with clear plastic bag or piece of plexiglass or something like that. So not all they necessarily need light to germinate, but you will see what's happening much faster. And what about outside? What do you think of this idea of making little hats for them out of old um, drink bottles? Do you think that helps? Yeah, just at the moment, if you don't have any spare pots, anything in the kitchen can become handy from yogurt pots, vegetable trays. Just make sure just the trays got drainage. Ah, sound advice there, Lenka. What I was really thinking of is when you do what my neighbour does, you go out and cut drink bottles and make little hats for plants growing in the garden. So he puts out a lettuce plant and then he puts a little hat made of a sawn-off drink bottle over it. And I wondered if that had any merit other than blowing into my garden as soon as the wind starts. Oh, it's a great idea because you are killing two birds with one stone you are creating like little mini cold frame the drink bottle acts like a greenhouse protecting the seedlings against the weather so just that will help and also it tends to keep things like slugs and snail away unless you are unlucky and one managed to sneak underneath and will be nibbling your plants Hmm. So you talked about um, radishes outdoors. Anything else you can sow outdoors in the ground? What else have you been popping into your raised beds this week? My family really likes monstoos, but you can uh, grow peas as well so that they are ready now for direct sowing. Just be careful because just the birds, 
and squirrels, they might like to dig them out. So what I do, I've got uh, hoops over which I drape my fleece and secure it with bricks and stones so just the birds cannot take a nice picking of the germinating seeds. Generally, whilst they are a bit bigger and I put the supports in, they leave them more or less alone. So I've still got few casualties, but not as much if I just let them to germinate in the ground. Also, though it's probably only me who likes them, I'm going to sow some broad beans as well. Some people already have them growing over winter or they planted them much earlier, but you can still sow now if you are quick. Well, these are all questions that have been foremost in the mind of RHS members who've been contacting the advisory service. And of course, you, Lenka, are on the front line of the advisory service, manning the phones and the emails. What kind of questions have you been asked recently? Just uh, people are starting to grow uh, loads of vegetables as well as ornamental plants a little bit too early. And uh, they're having a problem what to do with them because just this spring is still fresh and we cannot plant out the tender stuff. Things like tomatoes especially, they can be growing quite fast. So the main thing is to try to keep them in good light. If you can reduce the temperatures, taking them into a slightly cool room or even during the sunny days, keep them outside during the day, somewhere where they are not in the direct scorching sunshine keep them turned so they grow straight. Things like French beans or even runner beans, they don't like it too cool. So you might need to pot the plants individually, provide a stake that they climb on. It's difficult to hold the vegetables back. Great tips from Lenka there. It's lovely and fascinating to hear your questions, so keep them coming. And the award for the most dedicated gardener goes to a member who called our advisors from hospital last week, unwell with coronavirus. He asked about the best time to put out tomatoes. That is true gardening love. You'll be as pleased as us, I'm sure, to hear that he is now home and well. If you're really proud of the veg you've grown, I'd love to see it. Send me pictures on Twitter. Use at the underscore RHS and the hashtag RHS podcast. You can learn more on the topics we've covered in this episode by visiting rhs.org.uk slash podcast. Join us next week for another edition of the podcast with Fiona Davison. But until then, I think it's time for me to pop back into the garden. Those leeks and lettuces won't look after themselves. Thanks for listening. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step, 
And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> 